Hello, and welcome to the Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by Nuoutra, the innovative medical nutrition company dedicated to improving patients' lives through specialised and affordable supplements. My name is Corinne Toyne, and I'm a registered dietitian and marketing specialist at HRS Communications. We invite you to drop into the Dietitian Cafe as we discuss the latest nutrition trends, topics, and research. Every month, two episodes are released. One is an interview with a featured guest and the other a debate highlighting a hot topic in the world of nutrition and dietetics. However, before I start, can I ask you a huge favour? If you enjoy the Dietitian Cafe podcast, we'd be super grateful if you could press that follow button. More subscribers means more exciting guests and more interesting conversations for you, our listeners. Thank you. So, join me for today's episode where I'm delighted to be chatting to none other than the founder of New Outra, dietitian Paul Goff. We'll hear from Paul all about what led him to start New Outra, as well as the challenges he's encountered over the years since New Outra's inception in 2012. Welcome, Paul. I'll hand over to you to introduce yourself. Thank you very much, Kring, and thank you very much for the opportunity to come on the Dietitian Cafe podcast. Like you mentioned, uh, I started my career as a dietitian in the NHS in Glasgow, and then I followed that with a stint uh, in the HSE in Ireland, working in St Vincent's Hospital in Dublin. After about six, seven years working in a clinical environment, I wanted a new challenge. I moved to the industry side of dietetics, where I worked as a territory sales manager for Nutricia Danone. Ultimately, during this time, I was exposed to the vibrant nature of the medical nutrition industry. And at the end of 2011, I started New Ultra with a simple aim of creating more competition for healthcare economies and giving patients more choice for their medical nutrition needs. It's been a tough 12 years, but without a doubt, it's been the best 12 years of my life to date. Thanks so much, Paul. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Let's get started with a few quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better first. So first question, in one word, how would you describe yourself? I would say I'm a very positive person. So that's the word I would choose to describe myself. I try not to be too hindered by the bothers of life. Uh, Everyone has their problems, but in my view, there's very few problems that are insurmountable. Love that. Positivity is key. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? This was a toughie for me. I have two choices here. So one of them, I'm a keen golfer, so one of them was to go and play Augusta National, which hosts the US Masters every year. And I'm also a keen salmon fisherman. So the other one was to go to Iceland to fish for salmon in the wilds of Iceland. So I choose the latter. So I would choose the wilds of Iceland to go and visit. Wow, I really didn't expect you to say that. That's amazing. Some real great hobbies there. Two of my bucket lists, I actually had Iceland booked two, three years ago, but it was cancelled because of COVID. Uh, so yeah. I'll get there again one day. You will. I, I actually would love to go there as well to see the Northern Lights. Um, yeah. So my bucket list too. You might see me there fishing. Yeah, fishing away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And the last question, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? This was an easy one for me. Uh, my mum... Passed away in 2014 from ovarian cancer. Uh, she was a fabulous baker, a fabulous cook, and ultimately she passed down all her recipes to myself and my sister. And loads of great things to cook there, but without a doubt, it's my mum's chicken and broccoli bake. Oh. Easily have it once a week. It's the best. That sounds lovely. I'm really sorry to hear about your mum, but um, oh, no, you're fine. sounds like a delicious dish. <laughs> yeah, it's good. 
Okay, so let's crack on with the episode questions. Um, starting with the beginning of your journey, what made you to des- uh, decide to study dietetics and become a dietitian in the first place? Uh, well, I was studying sports science and physiology in Glasgow. Now, as part of this course, it did include uh, lots of modules on nutrition, obviously mainly for exercise and performance. But it was fascinating for me to see how simple tweaks to patient or to people's diets can improve performance significantly. Now, ultimately for me, it's the same for nutrition in the medical sector, only for a different patient cohort. I listened to a podcast actually a few weeks ago and was amazed that over 90% of the world's healthcare budgets go towards treatment rather than prevention. This was a stat that really shocked me. And I personally think that more should be invested in prevention and education And ultimately, when you think about it, um, nutrition can play an absolutely huge part in this, especially with the massive increases that we're seeing in obesity for one, diabetes for two. So I definitely think more on prevention and more emphasis on nutrition in in the prevention rather than the treatment of disease. Yeah, I definitely really agree with that. And education is is fundamental. And as dietitians, we can play a huge role in that. Exactly. So you founded New Outra in 2012. How did the idea come about? And was it something that you've been thinking about for a long time before it came to life? No, it was quite a sporadic decision, um, actually. As I touched on in my intro, you know, the medical and nutrition industry is a really great place to work. I had four or five great years at uh, Nutrition Denon. Uh, but, you know, however, back when I was working with Nutrition back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, you know, there was only three to four companies in supplying the worldwide market of medical nutrition products. And, you know, to be quite honest, in my view, in any industry, whether it's medical nutrition, whether it's technology, whether it's pharmaceuticals, you know, if there's only three to four companies dominating the world, there's definitely room for more. So that gave me the idea of let's start a business and let's compete in this sector. And really from that thought, I decided to go for it. And ultimately, New Ultra was born, and we are now a significant and well-established player in the UK and Ireland, and hopefully in the years to come, we'll expand, definitely in the EU, but potentially further afield. Wonderful. And what about the name? I think it's such a great name, New Ultra, but how did you come up with that name? This is actually a great question, and New Ultra was actually a word that we made up ourselves. It's made up of various different um, meanings. So whenever you think of um, the word New Ultra, you have the first two letters are NU, and we took that as an abbreviation for nutrition. Obviously, it's our core business. Then you take the first three letters, and it's NUA, and that's the Irish word for new. So we were a new company on the block, so it, uh, it was very pertinent at the time. Then if you take the middle letters, we have ALT, and that's an abbreviation for alternative. So we've seen ourselves as an alternative option to the other big companies that that are in this space. And then the last five letters of the word are the word ultra. And that comes from the Irish word ultranish, which kind of stands for nursing, for caring, which is obviously at at the core of what we do as well. So you put all those little mini words together and you get the company named your ultra. So albeit it's got a bit of an Irish spin, but I hope there's a lot of meaning there to, to a lot of dietitians um, that are listening. That's fascinating when you break it down like that. Yeah, it's, actually, just... it's actually funny, but it's not, not many people know when, they, when yeah, you actually go to tell them, it, it always gets a nice response, which, which is good. Yeah, for sure. 
Was there a particular kind of gap in the market that you saw new outdoor filling? There, there definitely was a gap there. We had, you know, as I, as I touched on before, we had three to four um, competitors in the space, you know, all very similar products, all very well established companies that have been around for probably 20, 30 years, even longer. As I said, products were all very similar. There was been no real innovation over that period of time. Prices were all the same. So the gap we saw really was to bring a more modern twist to, twist to nutrition, create products that tasted good, but also importantly, provided value to obviously the healthcare economies that are going to use our products. So that was the main gap in the market for me. And, and that's what really spurred us on to create the business and, and launch into this market. Mm-hmm. And just on that, what would you say is New Outreach's unique selling point? I think this is something I'm really proud of. And I think what we do for our customers is, is simply incredible. Um, you know, we have the view that if we make dietitians' jobs easier on a daily basis, then that's the key to our success. Uh, one example of this was in the, in the introduction of Forefront RX. Uh, this was a program that was developed by Phil and his marketing team. And really this program gives um, prescribing support dietitians the tools in order to view medical nutrition spending wherever they are in the UK. So if they're in London, they can log into London and they'll see how much medical nutrition is being prescribed in London, for, for example. With this data, this therefore enables them to make informed choices in order to reduce and hit their budgets for medical nutrition. It's so powerful. I've never seen a more powerful tool in medical nutrition since, since I worked in the industry. And then also from a product point of view, we don't really want our products to look like medicine. I know it's called medical nutrition, but really we want to normalize um, medical nutrition. And we are doing this by making our products have a much more consumer look about them. You know, you have to think about patients. Patients take these at work. They take them when they're out in the park with their kids. Their kids take them at school, for example. So I think this is really important, you know, to for the future stages of the business. And kind of we've just completed the first stage of um, this project and our new starter packs have launched in the UK. So hopefully customers have seen those now. Hopefully they react well to them. But I think it's definitely the way we go in the future. Mm -hmm. So being really innovative there and also changing up a little bit, get away from the medical feel of of these products. Um, Not everybody taking these products are in hospital. They live in communities. They're, They're out and about, you know, doing their their daily living tasks. So I think to normalize it as much as possible is absolutely key. Yeah. And just really thinking about patients as humans, not yeah. just an individual being clinically treated. I think exactly, as well, yeah. this, the, having data allows you to be really agile as a company, which is really yeah, exciting. You know, because basically without the without this data, you know, a lot of the prescribing support dietitians are acting blind. And if you don't have that data, you can't make the best choices. So if we can put that data into the dietitian's hands, they can make choices within within minutes. Yeah. You know, if, they, if they see an area is prescribing a product that's extremely expensive and we have an alternative, if they switch that product to our product, there's immediate savings for the NHS or there's immediate savings for the HSE. So extremely powerful data to have and, and grateful that we're, we're able to provide it. Mm-hmm. Exciting. So you spoke a little bit about the vision of the company when you first started out, but would you say that those founding principles are the same as the beginning or have the priorities changed over time and with experience? I think they've changed um, quite considerably. 
what I founded the business, you know, we just kept it as simple as possible. We didn't have a marketing team. We didn't have a big sales team. You know, we didn't even have a management team, um, so to speak. So we just had a very simple tagline of making a difference in nutrition, you know, very, very basic, but ultimately what we wanted to, to do as well. Um, as the time passed and our team got bigger and uh, with Mark as our CEO, uh, Mark Lee is also ex-nutritionist as well as a very niche market, as I mentioned. But with Mark as our CEO, you know, the business really started to get professionalized and we worked hard on our new vision. And it's really a, a three-pronged um, vision that we live by every day. The first one is that we always create innovative products, whether that's in taste, whether that's in packaging, for example. The second are the second one. The second prong of that um, vision is really to provide products that are better, better value to healthcare economies. Ultimately, that was one of the core reasons why we get into the industry. It's one of the core reasons why we're still here, and it's something that's very close to all our hearts in the business. You know, to try and give a little bit bit back to the HSE or the HSE or wherever we we may be. And then the final one, probably the most important one, is improving the experience of medical nutrition for our patients and this could be as simple as you know again packaging taste for example you know we want our patients to have the best experience possible these products can be difficult to take because you know the patients that are taking our products could be nauseated they could be sick they could be cancer patients mm -hmm. so we want to make it as easy as possible for for patients to take these products and then whenever you combine those three prongs this kind of we built this into a simple tagline and this is the purpose we live by and it's simply better value, better life. Which is quite powerful. Yeah, I think, yeah. It, you know, it, it, basically, it basically says everything that we do, everything we live by in the business, we all um, live by it every day and it, it's what drives us on. Yeah. makes us do what we do. Definitely. And you've got to have that kind of guiding star when yeah. you start a business. Because Absolutely, you know, you, know, you, have, you, to, yeah, you have to ultimately know what, what your end point is mm -hmm. and what you're trying to achieve. And then that Definitely. shapes everything that you're doing along the journey. Definitely. So thinking about kind of actually bringing your idea to fruition and bringing the, the company to life, what did it actually look like to take this idea and make it become a reality? Are you able to share a bit about what goes on behind the scenes to bring a product to market? So some of the dietitians or nutrition professionals listening can maybe t you know take some learnings from that, um, yeah, especially sure. if they're looking to follow that journey themselves. I'll try my best. <laughs> um, but to me, to, to take a business from, you know, inception, you know, right through 12 years, the growth we've experienced, ultimately selling the business to Jinomoto, you know, it's absolutely one of the proudest feelings that anyone can experience. It's absolutely incredible. You know, um, whenever I started the business back in, whenever we launched the business back in 2011, it was just myself in a one-man office. And seeing it grow to what it is today with nearly 30 employees is absolutely incredible it makes me a very proud man i have to say uh also you know with the team we have in place we're extremely tight-knit team and to be honest with you we're more like friends than work colleagues uh you know which is the ultimate environment for for anyone to work in you know and as the old saying goes you know if you enjoy what you do you'll never work a day in your life and that's mm -hmm. that's certainly what i feel like and i hope the rest of my team feel like that i hope it's you know a really a pleasure place to, to, to make a living. In order to bring a product from, you know, inception through to launch, it is a, it's a very long process. It's a lot longer for liquids than it is for powders because they have to go a lot, go through a lot more stability work. But 
just really talking about liquids, it can take really a minimum of two years, two years plus uh, to have a product market ready. Um, it's a very regulated market that we operate in, uh, meaning that the contents and profile of the product have to adhere to EU regulations. Then once you've achieved that, the product has to go through numerous R&D phases. You have a pilot phase where you do numerous pilots, you know, you sign off on the taste, et cetera. And then once you've done that, it goes through to industrialization where you test it on a three ton batch, a five ton batch, an eight ton batch, just to check that it goes, can go through the aseptic technology um, safely. And then only then when all those properties are agreed, you know, when you have a finished product in a bottle, that's only really the start of it because then you have to go out, go ahead and complete ethical approval to be able to do you know studies in, in, in patients, whether that's in a nursing home or whether that's in the community. And these studies involve compliance studies. So you have to prove that a patient can, can take your product, which is very important. They have palatability studies to show really on a scale of one to 10, how palatable a patient finds your product. So obviously you want it on seven, eight, nine, 10 scale. If it's lower than that, you really have to go back to the drawing board because the taste isn't obviously how it should be. And then you have to do GI tolerance studies to make sure that patients or that patients are taking your product over this testing period. Don't have had any adverse effects that could affect their GI tolerance. I won't go into details of what can go wrong for the sake of the podcast. Um, but um, yeah, it's, and then only then when you complete those studies, when you have satisfactory results, can you submit your product to, there's the ACBS in the UK, which is the advisory committee of borderline substances. Uh, you submit it to, to them for review. And in, the, in Ireland, you submit it to the HSC Foods Review Group. And ultimately, if they're satisfied with all the results of your product, of your patient studies, they then approve it to be added to the drug tariff. And only then can a GP prescribe it for patients. So really, the, the product development phase can take anything from a year to a year and a half. And the study phase can take another year. But mm. ultimately, you know, it's down to the, the committee members of the, the regulatory bodies that decide whether your product gets approved or not. Uh, but then when you think about it, um, you know, it is a very challenging process, but not more challenging than you would expect. You know, when, when products are paid for ultimately by the NHS or the HSC, then they should be difficult to bring to market and the barriers to entry should be challenging. So yeah, it's a challenging process. It's an enjoyable process. It's one of the processes that is one of the, my main roles in the business. So I kind of live it day in, day out. Um, but it's, yeah, it's difficult, but rewarding in the end. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a huge bit of work to, you know, get the, the product launched and ready. But as you said, kind of you maybe expected that going into it or what was you, it actually? You do, you do expect it, you know, and I'm in a much better place now than I was when I started the business. Whenever I started the business, it was me you know, do, doing all this work myself. We now have a great uh, MPD team in the business with myself, with Emma in regulatory and medical affairs, with Helena, our head of operations, and with Phil in marketing. And between the four of us, we we generally get done what we need to get done. So, yeah, it's it's good. I've got more help now than I did back then, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> Dream team. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so you worked as a dietitian in clinical practice before going into industry, which is really yeah. interesting. And um, 
you know, from a you know, many of our uh, audience are dietitians themselves, so I'm sure they'd be intrigued to know. Do you think that the clinical experience that you gained did benefit your business? I think definitely the clinical experience helped in the fact that it gave me the tools to understand the needs of the patient. For example, when a specific product is needed and when it is not, and how a specific product can help a patient. So definitely it helped me understand, you know, the benefits that a patient can get from these types of products. Uh, with regards to building the business, you know, I think anyone can build a business if they research and fully understand what, what they're trying to do. However, you know, the medical nutrition business ultimately is very niche and it's not widely known. Uh, so anyone outside of, say, the medical environment or the dietetic environment or the industry side of medical nutrition probably has never been exposed to this unless they've been unwell, et cetera, and they've been prescribed these products. Or I would even go as far to say that lots of people don't even know this industry exists. So. Did they help me? Absolutely, they helped me. They both helped me. You know, the clinical side definitely helped me understand the need. Um, but yeah, there was also, you know, whenever you think about it, my time at Nutricia as well, you know, this was extremely valuable to me. Uh, as I mentioned in the last question, dietetics helped me understand the clinical need, but my time at Nutricia helped me understand the business side as well. Mm-hmm. And without both sides complementing each other, you know, I would say it would be very difficult to do what we did. And I can safely say if I didn't work as a dietitian or I never worked with Nutricia, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about how we started New Ultra and, and what the journey was like from, from start to present day. Well, I'm pleased it did work out. I'm sure many, <laughs> many, uh, many of us are. <laughs> and you know, on that note, you are the fastest growing medical nutrition company in the UK and Ireland, which is amazing and deserves a huge congratulations. What has been the biggest challenge that you faced along the way and how did you overcome that challenge? Boy, uh, <laughs> where to start? And just to, just to say, yes, we have been the fastest growing medical nutrition company in the UK and Ireland for the last six years. We're three quarters of the way through 2023 and we're pretty much super confident it's going to be seven years in a row. And, you know, myself and my team are extremely proud, proud of that. The, the sales guys, the management team, everybody in the business has done a phenomenal job. Now, when you start a business, you know, the, the amount of challenge, challenges are phenomenal, you know, every day, such as, you know, basic challenges such as making payroll, uh, such as cash flow, such as paying for stock, for example, managing people. Ultimately, you have to keep people that invest, invest mm-hmm. in the business. You have to keep those guys happy as well. But however, you know, the, the biggest challenge for me was when you disrupt an industry the way we did, no matter what type of industry, there's always going to be legal implications somewhere along the line. You know, we spent four years in better legal disputes, probably from 2013 to 2016, 17, even a year before that. Uh, these legal disputes were in Ireland and the UK, and the vast majority was from outsiders who simply wanted to destroy what we were building. It was extremely stressful, um, you know, and the simple fact is that these legal disputes could have brought New Ultra to its knees back in 2015 and 2016. You know, I think it, obviously I gave the word to describe myself as positive, and I think one of the reasons why I am a positive person now and why I mentioned that no problem is insurmountable, you know, is because we got through this. You know, I think it's the biggest problem I've ever faced in my life. Uh, we got together as a team and we supported each other and we get through it. And I'd say, 
I'm a bit embarrassed saying this, but um, during that time, during the legal issues, you know, I used to switch my phone off. I used to go to bed at seven o'clock every night for the sole reason that I couldn't be contacted by solicitors, by barristers. And obviously it was the darkest few years of my life, but ultimately we get through it. There's light at the end of every tunnel and we saw the light and we went for it and mm-hmm. we got there. And it's great. We're still here to tell the tale. Yeah. And, and another word that I'm thinking there is resilient. Yeah. Sounds as though you've kind of been able to pick yourself back up and, and focus yeah. on what's important throughout. Yeah, absolutely. You know, chaos. you have to focus like during, during, during that time, it would have been so easy for myself and Mark to just really forget about the business, focus on the legal issues. If you focus too much on one side, you lose focus on the other side and vice versa as well. So it was a kind of balance between our two. We obviously had help from our chairman at the time as well, um, you know, to get through the legal issues, but really with the support of each other, chatting to each other, working with each other. And we got there and th- we got there at the end. And, mm. you know, it's something we look back on. It still gives us the shivers a little bit, but we got through it together and we'll always have that. Yeah. And could you kind of summarize that into one bit of advice that you could give to someone struggling with their career or wanting to overcome a, a hurdle? I think um, if somebody was trying to get over a hurdle, you know, it's always important to get advice, advice from managers, from fellow colleagues that are doing the same job that have, or have done the same job as you in the past. But ultimately experienced people that have probably seen and got through most of these hurdles before. You know, there's absolutely no shame whatsoever in admitting that you need help. I've done it numerous times in my career. And, you know, I think one of the best things that you could do is you know, get yourself a mentor or a business coach that you can lean on, that you can talk to, you can get advice from, even just going for a coffee in the local coffee shop. It doesn't have to be a formal setting, you know, just to ask these questions, to flesh it out, to see where you're going to go, how you're going to deal with it. And ultimately, if you do that, your career will will get better from it and you'll, you'll go ahead and blossom. I actually couldn't agree more. Throughout the conversations I've had with some of the guests, mentorship has come up time and time again. It really seems that many successful people that i've spoken to you know on and off this podcast have you know had some of that has been due to having fantastic mentors i have a great mentor um and i definitely think that has helped me to to grow and and develop and just take on new perspectives so it's really interesting to hear you say that yeah you know and um you know mark came into the business and you know mark's been phenomenal for the business obviously i touched on the way he professionalized the business but Ultimately, over the last six, seven years, we've, you know, ultimately become friends so much so mm. that we brought our kids on holiday together uh, oh, two years ago. Lovely. So, yeah, it's good. And you know, if I've ever, if I've ever a problem, you know, Mark's there, Circa's there in finance, Helena's there in ops. As I said, we're all friends, so we all, we all want to see else. We obviously want to see each other to be the best that we can be, and we support each other through that to make sure we get there. That's really great to hear. So we spoke a bit earlier about the phrase better value better lives and you you kind of broke down in terms of um what that means to you and um in in relation to the business but one of the things that would be good to hear a bit more about is the the word affordability and you know why is it that you've chosen to prioritize affordability when it comes to the vision and the mission of of new ultra yeah so so really, on the whole better value, better lives um, thing, obviously that's to have the most cost effective, two prongs, obviously the better value is the most cost effective um, side of the business. 
And, um, you know, we want to give dietitians and medics um, better value options to choose from. The better, va- better value for patients is to quite simply improve and speed up recovery from illness and improve, and improve their experience of medical nutrition. But when it comes to the affordability issue, I probably a really simplistic view in this, which is probably very debatable. You know, obviously, when you think of a health budget, whether it's Ireland, whether it's UK, whether it's France, Spain, wherever, no health budget in the world as an infinite resource, you know. So that basically means to me, if we can supply products to any of these health economies that say, for example, help one of those health economies save 10 million per year, you know, which we have done uh, in the NHS and the HSE, then that money is obviously saved. So to me, in a quite simplistic way, that money should be there to, to spend in other areas, you know, like obviously frontline services, you know, more staff, more nurses, more dietitians, more physios, more speech therapists, more doctors, for example. And if that happens, then that's to, to the benefit of us all. We all benefit from that whenever we need healthcare. Um, whether it works like that or not is, as I said, very debatable. But, you know, ultimately, if you free up money somewhere, it has to go somewhere else. So hopefully it goes to the right places, but we're not in control of that. And we're not in control where the NHS spend their money, but obviously the more they have, the better the services can become. Yeah. So looking at things realistically in order to serve everyone better. Yeah, absolutely. And moving on to sustainability, which is a subject that is you know, really important to many of us. Um, but I think it's amazing that you were the first medical nutrition company to remove straws from all relevant products and take that jump, which I think someone outside of the medical nutrition industry might think that that is not actually big of a deal, but it is because it relates to use of the product. And, you know, I think some people had, you know, controversial views about whether that should be done. But obviously we know that sustainability is kind of future proof the health of people and planet. So you as a company making that move is, is obviously a positive one. And many of your products do use Tetra packaging to reduce environmental impact, which again is brilliant. So why is sustainability important to you? Well, I, th- I think, you know, given given the world today, I think it's important for every company to really take responsibility and do, and do their bit for their environment, given the challenges, you know, that we face with climate change, that we face with plastic pollution, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, when I think about it, um, I have four young kids myself, and I want them to be able to grow up, you know, grow up on a planet that's safe, that's sustainable, you know, they have the ability to go and explore this planet when when they come of age. You know, I think that's really important. Removing straws from products was the easiest decision our, our business ever made. It really didn't impact how our products were used. A lot of these products are decanted, you know, into cups, you know, into beakers, for example. So that was a really easy one. And the move to Tetra was actually a really interesting one because it's kind of taken dietetics in a 360 degree circle. Because whenever I was working in the hospital, you know, way back in, geez, back in late 1990s, early 2000s, and giving away my age, but sure, <laughs> um, you know, we were prescribing, you know, medical nutrition products in Tetra Pak. Now, obviously, Tetra Pak's come a long way now. They, they're, they're very modern. If you go into any petrol station, you'll see coconut waters and smoothies and Tetra. You know, they look as good as plastic bottles. But ultimately, Tetra is um, a cleaner product. So again. That was a relatively easy choice to make and it's certainly something that we're exploring more of in the future so yeah moving to tetra and moving to straws were, were great for us 
uh, but still a relatively easy decision to make given on the little bit that every company has to do for to do their bit for the environment. Yeah, I think it was interesting there what you said about the fact that most of the uh, drinks are poured into a cup, um, which um, is, I think, important when you actually think about, you know, you can have assumptions as a business in terms of oh, all our patients, you know, really prioritise straws, but actually mm-hmm. being able to understand the true customer insight of how the product is actually used by your core audience, i.e. Yeah. patients, is obviously, you know, important because then that yeah. helps to... I, I don't, I, I honestly don't think we receive, obviously we track, you know, complaints and requests, et cetera, et cetera. I honestly don't think we received probably more than one. Mm. Wasn't even a complaint. No, sorry, more than five. You know, just queries of, "Oh, your product is no straw." But then, when actually, whenever we actually explain why, it's one hundred percent accepted. Yeah, uh, it has it has never posed our business a problem since we did it. Brilliant. And are there any other sustainable solutions that you've incorporated into the business? No, I I, I can't say much about this. Okay. But, uh, I am working on a project at the minute that I plan to present to the business um, next month. And if it does go ahead, it's going to be absolutely mega. That, that's yeah. all I can say. That's all I can say. You heard it here first. What better yeah. place to announce that on the Dietitian yeah. Cafe? I think Great. it could potentially transform, you know, the way the way these products are presented. I can't that's really exciting. Oh, we have to keep us posted. Yeah. <laughs> And um, then talking about taste, so, you know, all these things that we've spoken about are all really important, but actually the taste of a product is, you could argue, one of, if not the most important factors when it comes to medical nutrition and compliance. And New Outro really prides themselves on great tasting products. And I can vouch, I absolutely love the hazelnut flavor. As a dietitian myself, I remember tasting that when I was working clinically, and I still remember how delicious it was. Um, you know, why is taste so important to you when starting the business? Firstly, I think it's absolutely essential. You know, if you have a product that doesn't taste good, then, you know, forget about it. We would never, we set ourselves back when we started the business. You know, I remember there's products, you know, in this sector that I think are totally unpalatable. You couldn't bring, if somebody prescribed one to me, there's no way I could take it. So for me, taste was absolutely essential and we'll never launch a product that, that, that doesn't taste good. As I said before, it's also a hard um, therapy to comply with given you've got adjacent issues, you know, with nausea, vomit and cancer, etc. So to me, if we can improve taste by even one or two percent and increase compliance, then we can assist patients better in their recovery journey. Because ultimately to us, you know, a product that isn't consumed is a product wasted. And we certainly can't tolerate that as a business. You know, we don't want to have our products poured down a sink, etc. We want patients to be able to drink our product, you know, get stronger, build more muscle mass, also help the recovery. And that's that's really, you know, the, the main goal of, of why we do this. This is why we're we're supplying these products to the market. So yeah, without taste, that can't happen. So that's why taste is so important. Now, when it comes to flavors, um, you know, we will always have the core flavors in our, in our stable, you know, vanilla and strawberry are always, you know, they're, they're the most used. And that, that really comes from historical use as well. You know, it's quite difficult to introduce a new flavor, but as patients are so used to the staple flavors of vanilla and strawberry, uh, they are the most popular. But whenever we develop flavors, it's quite interesting because we want to develop flavors that give patients experience of products that they consume you know, maybe not on a daily basis, but certainly on a regular basis. 
are flavors that they're familiar with. Now you touched on the hazel chocolate flavor. Now that's actually built on the, the flavor profile of Ferrero Rocher. Everybody's yeah. had a Ferrero Rocher or, you know, or Nutella, for example. So, you know, have a, have a taste of that, you know, and hopefully you would agree that it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Then in our Nutricreme range, we developed a mint chocolate flavor, and that's really built along the profile of after eight, you know, like the after dinner mints. So we all know, like I have, you know, I had grandparents, we always went to their house for dinner on a Sunday. After dinner, they pulled out the after eights. And whenever you think of Nutricreme, it's probably taken more in an elderly population. So whenever somebody's in hospital, you give them a Nutricreme, hopefully it brings back memories of, you know, when they had after eights you know, back when they were living at home, for example. And then the, the third one that's really a little bit different is our chocolate orange Nutri-Creme. And that's really to mirror the, your Terry's chocolate orange. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, they all pretty very popular. We all want to be a little bit different. And, you know, we want to develop flavors that kind of give patients a little bit of, you know, a memory of when they were at home, when they were at dinner with loved ones or having a Terry's chocolate orange on Christmas day, for example, that's, that's a sort of, way we go about our, our product development outside of our core flavors. Wow, I, I, that's really interesting to know that it's kind of built around memories and nostalgia and having yeah. nice moments. It doesn't necessarily Absolutely. have to be. I think it's um, important. Yeah. Okay. And obviously you probably have lots of moments that you're proud of, but are you able to tell us kind of one element or one moment that you're especially proud of? Um, there's two areas in my business that... I'm extremely proud of, and I couldn't have done it without both of them. Number one is the team we have. We have the tightest knit team, as I've said before, I've ever been a part of. You know, we get together once a year at conference. You know, we talk about our business the past year. We do our plans for the following year. And everybody leaves that conference absolutely buzzing, you know, with memories for life. You know, I'm so proud of that. And then secondly, I'm so proud that our business has been accepted by dietetic communities in the UK and Ireland. And I'm so grateful for that as well. And, you know, all I can say is we will continue to innovate. We'll continue to bring products out in order to strengthen this bond. And anyway, we can support you guys. Just ask and we'll do it. Great. And do you have a favorite product? I've got, you know, my, my favorite products probably from a nostalgic point of view are the three I launched back in 2011. You know, um, they're still with us. They're still growing. They're still, you know, a core part of our business. You know, they're, they've, I couldn't have imagined, you know, that they'd have gone from where they were in 2011, 12, 13 to where they are in 2023 and hope and hopefully beyond. But when it comes to an absolute favorite, I would say our ultra juice product, it was the first product we launched in Tetra. And really what that product has done and what that product has achieved since launch is simply unbelievable. You know, as I said, Mark, our CEO has been in this business for over 15 years and he's never seen a product take off like this. Mm. You know, it's absolute, it's been our fastest ever product that we've launched. And it really kind of proved to us that the concept of Tetra can be accepted and can be accepted into the future as well, because going to Tetra, we did take the risk of going a little bit back in time, but the way dietitians have accepted this product and it's also because it tastes absolutely fantastic as well but it's, it's definitely the way to go so yeah the three nostalgic products for me and the new the new one ultra juice is definitely my faves great so new outro is always innovating 
And I know you've said, you know, you gave us a little bit of a snippet there in terms of you're working on something really exciting. Um, but is there anything else in the pipeline that you're excited about? Yeah, you, you know, Yaltra, we were acquired by a Jinomoto Japanese company back in uh, the end of 2020. Uh, Jinomoto is, you know, one of the world's leading researchers and suppliers of amino acids. Uh, they also have loads of other business sectors as well. But, you know, one of their key areas is research and development in amino acids. And you know what, um, Karen, the more I learn about amino acids, I'm absolutely blown away. The power of amino acids is unbelievable. And I definitely think, you know, we spent some time, we were lucky enough to spend some time in Tokyo at the end of last year. We got a tour of the research and development facility. You know, what they've done there with combinations of amino acids, with single amino acids, is unbelievable. And what they can do for patients is it could potentially be absolutely transformative. So I think, obviously, continue to develop our core business, which we have done to date. Um, but I also think there is definitely absolutely enormous potential to take the research in amino acids, put them into medical nutrition. And I have no doubt that if we do this and we do it successfully, it could potentially take medical nutrition, you know, to the absolute next stage, not just in the UK and Ireland, but on a global scale as well. That's really exciting. That's Thank you for sharing. Incredible. It's, it's, it's really good. It's really impressive. So just to finish off now, it's our last question, sadly, um, but we've talked a lot about the work that you've done um, around, you know, and the impact that's had on the business. But I'd love to finish on finding about finding out about what impact it's had on you and what you've kind of learned through the process of founding New Ultra. I think um, quite simply, I've learned to be resilient and I've learned not to not to lose too much sleep over small issues, you know, spend your time in the large issues, the large projects that will take your business to the next level. The small problems and small issues always work themselves out. Um, secondly, for people that start a business, never be scared to hand control of your business to people better than you, particularly at running businesses. I think that's so important and I can't emphasize that uh, enough. I think um, this is also a mistake that too many founders make. You know, founders should work on their strengths you know, the innovative side, the entrepreneurial side, and allow the business to flourish under proper leadership. You know, I did this, you know, with Mark back in probably 2017, and it was the best decision I, I ever made. And really for me, you know, I was a science person, not a business guy. So leading the business was never one of my strengths. So why should I be leading the business? Give it to somebody who's strong at doing that, and he'll take your business to the next level. And our whole SMT has done that from us. Surrogate and finance has been absolutely phenomenal. But really for me, it's the old mantra, you know, surround yourself with people smarter than you and you will learn and, and you'll flourish. There's no stronger advice that I've ever received. And I probably now have the lowest IQ in the whole business from, from this <laughs> mantra, but sure, we're, we're doing okay. <laughs> and, you know, really, I think this is something I have done and I believe in, and to all my employees, all our customers, I'm enormously thankful. Thanks for the journey. What well, a lovely way to finish the episode. And that's really inspirational to hear, you know, you share that, those bits of advice. I'm sure many people listening will feel really enthused and um, you know, excited about the potential of their careers ahead of them. Thanks, Karen. A big thank you to Paul for coming onto the podcast today. I really enjoyed our chat and especially loved hearing about the behind the scenes of New Outra. A huge thank you to New Outra, of course, for making this podcast possible. 
If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend or colleague who you think would find it interesting. Our next episode of the Dietitian Cafe will be out soon, but in the meantime, you can check out our previous episodes or head over to our RD2B Dietitian Cafe podcast, where once a month our student dietitian host discusses the world of dietetics with a range of guests, all aimed at aspiring dietitians. Thank you for joining us at the Dietitian Cafe. See you next time. Thank you.